You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm your host, J.J. Leahy. My co-host is my good friend, Gil Martin. In addition to this show, I host Cheese and Packers. Gil is the host of Locked On NHL. He also writes for the Packers Post and Cheesehead TV. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. Fans, Green Bay football is almost back. Uh, rookies report to camp. What is it? Friday. So the, ep- the day this episode is going to come out. That's right. Veterans report on Wednesday. I believe it's going to be a good time. We're going to get training camp. You're going to hear Packers news again for the first time in what feels like a million years. We're going <laughs> to, uh, we're going to hear that some guys look fantastic. That some guys look awful. We're going to hear that so-and-so had a bad practice. So-and-so has soreness in their, their wrist or their back or whatever. And, and we will hear a million different microscopic breakdowns of Jordan love (laughs) and everything he does or doesn't do well. And then, and then you're going to remember that even training camp feels boring towards the end. We're going to get preseason games, which you're going to love for 15 minutes. Right. Then you're going to remember that you don't like preseason games but we are almost here. We're almost to real Packers football again. Uh, got some new, uh, one new addition and some workouts. The Packers brought in a new tight end. His name is Sal Canella. Gil, can you give us the rundown on Sal? Yeah, well, Sal Canella, uh, a an alumni of the USFL, was with the New Orleans Breakers last year. Nice size, 6'5", 230, uh, led all USFL tight ends with uh, 34 catches. Uh, But, you know, here is a guy who is basically more insurance in the case of whether or not Robert Tunyon is ready and, you know, how things break down in the tight end room. He's 25 years old. Uh, was not drafted when he came out of college uh, at Auburn and now is looking to build on his experience in the USFL and and basically either make the practice squad or make the roster. And basically, you know, that's the kind of reason you have leagues like the USFL or the XFL. Y- you want players who maybe need a little bit more time to develop who need a little bit more experience to show what they could do in sort of a minor league setting and then get an opportunity to go to the next level and, and compete for a job in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, we also had some workouts Packers worked out John Brown, uh, the John Brown wide receiver uh, famously from Arizona and uh, Buffalo spent a season with Baltimore Gill the last time any of us really remember John Brown making any kind of contribution on the field, he was playing for the bills in the 2019, 2020 seasons. If you had to guess how many teams has he signed with since leaving the bills? Can you, can you list any of them? Three, I'm going to say. Okay. And, and who would those be that you could, I, I would be guessing. 
All right, it's actually four. Okay. Raiders, Broncos, Jaguars, and Buccaneers in just two years. He's been with four teams. So Packers brought him in for a workout. I, I really suspect that this was just a curiosity thing. It doesn't seem like John Brown has anything left in the tank. Um, and the fact that the Packers have not signed him uh, and, and did go ahead and sign Sal Canella, putting the roster at a full 90 players indicates they probably concur. Now, maybe something happens. Maybe he does end up uh, with the Packers and you say, all right, well, clearly they had him in. They took a look at him, filed it away for future reference. Um, but uh, right now it kind of seems like John Brown is maybe a thing of the past. They also worked out offensive lineman Aaron Cervais from Syracuse. He's a Green Bay native, played there football for Oshwabanon. They also worked out UMass cornerback Bryce Watts. Bryce Watts is a 2022 undrafted free agent. He signed with Pittsburgh following the draft. Then he was waived from injured reserve with an injury settlement in late May. Interesting, interesting thing about Watts. He actually transferred twice in college. I think the second one had to have been a, a grad transfer, but he played at Virginia Tech and North Carolina before playing one year at UMass. So um, just file this away that these are the positions they've been looking at. Cornerback, offensive line, wide receiver, and then tight end is where they made an addition. Sal Canella is the eighth tight end on this roster. Now you got Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tunyon. Not sure if he's ready to play yet. Uh, Josiah DeGuara, Dominique Daphne, Tyler Davis, Elise Mack, Eli Wolf, and new addition Sal Canella. Okay, we are going to talk about this upcoming training camp. And we have broken down our thoughts into five things you should care about and five things you should not be worried about for training camp. We put a lot of thought into this list. Hope you enjoy it. Gil, starting off number five on the list of things you should care about special teams. I don't think I need to go into any detail on <laughs> why you should care about that, but what are some of the things we're going to be looking for out of training camp on the special teams front? Well, let, let's start with the very basics. Uh, will Mason Crosby bounce back mm -hmm. from his struggles mm -hmm of a year ago. Uh, I, I think he is by far the favorite to win the kicking job, but you want to see that old reliability that seemed to be lacking last year. And everyone was talking about, Oh yeah. You know, there's issues with the long snapper. There's issues with uh, the holder. Okay. So we're going to have a new holder this year in Pat O'Donnell and we'll, we'll, hopefully be able to work out with whoever wins the long snapping job, but I, I need more reliability in the kicking game. And I'll start with that. Yeah. I think at this point already a year ago, we had uh, on this podcast already had to endure me talking about um, my frustrations with what we were hearing um, about Mo Drayton and the way he was running things. Uh, I was already frustrated with Hunter Bradley. Uh, Hunter Bradley, looks like July 29th was um, uh, kind of kind of when my ranting um, on Twitter, at least, had kind of reached a fever pitch about my concern about the long snapper position. Unfortunately, it only went downhill from there. But I, at that point, I was already rooting hard for like anybody to come in and take Hunter Bradley's job. Uh, the Packers did have Joe Fortunato in camp. Uh, he ended up not panning out. 
Um, and then they, you know, tried to carry Hunter Bradley into the regular season, made a switch halfway through the year to Steve Ortel. Uh, there also, um, there was smoke around the idea that J.K. Scott was maybe not secure in his job. They uh, Ryan Winslow didn't seem like a serious challenger to J.K., but it seemed like the, the team was not thrilled with J.K., and obviously they ended up cutting him and uh, replacing him with punter Corey Bajorquez. Um, so the good news is we don't have any smoke right now like we did a year ago about how bad things were on special teams. So um, I'm also going to be really interested to, to hear kind of what the chemistry on field sounds like with all the young guys who are doing special teams drills last year, it just felt like a mess and you didn't have any sense of veteran leadership from any of the players. Nobody kind of rallying guys together. It was just a bunch of guys out there doing their own thing. Um, and it was just, just was disjointed. So it's going to be interesting. We got a bunch of new guys were slotting in there. Um, guys who either were not on the roster last year or were added uh, during the course of the year. Some key contributors like Oren Burks are gone. Um, uh, Tyler Lancaster is gone. So it's going to be interesting to see how all these new guys slot in here and what kind of chemistry and, and smoothness we're hearing about. Yeah, it'll be interesting, and and it'll be interesting to see what overall influence Rich Bisaccia has on the whole unit. So I I think there's a lot to look for there. Uh, And then when you go beyond kicker, I I think who's going to return kicks, who's going to return punts. A lot of things up in the air on special teams, uh, and, and it's something that we'll definitely have to look at. Hey, do you want to mark it down? We can we can make our predictions right now for who we think is going to handle returns. Do you want to cast your vote? I think I got my guys picked out. You have your guys picked out. Okay. I, think I do. I think I do. Uh, I have not really given it a lot of uh, definitive thought yet. Should, but... should we revisit this at the end of the episode and, and okay. let you make your prediction then? That'll give you some time to think about it. Fair enough. Fair okay. enough. Don't let me forget that we got to come back to this. Okay. All right. The next thing, number four on the list of five things you should care about, training camp battles. Let's look at the positions where we have heated battles. I think there's probably three or four positions along the offensive line that are up for grabs right now. Um, Part of that has to do with uh, injury. But I think that Josh Myers at center is the name and position that I have the highest degree of confidence that it's a match (laughs) as far as who's going to play left guard, right guard, right tackle, even left tackle. I think there's more uncertainty at all four of those than there is at center. You're also going to see some competition for backup center. I think uh, Zach Tom is a candidate there. Obviously you got Jake Hansen and Michael Manet on the roster who both have experience at center. The guard positions, I would guess are wide open right now. Obviously, John Runyon and Royce Newman want to retain their jobs, but you got uh, rookies coming in. You got some second-year guys back from last year who are going to be trying to win jobs. And although I think the Packers like John Runyon and Royce Newman, I don't think either of those guys should feel totally safe in those jobs because there's a lot of guys jockeying for roster spots there. Uh, Anything else at offensive line uh any uh sleeper names that you think are are really key ones to watch here 
you know, I, I mean, I'm going to keep my eye on the on the two higher draft picks from this year, Sean Ryan, Zach yeah. Tom, and to see initially to me. The thing I'll be watching is where are they getting reps? Are they at tackle guards? Uh, in the case of uh, Tom, he could be at center. So I, I want to keep an eye on where the coaching staff has them getting the majority of their reps. But I think overall, uh, once we know the status of some of the injured players and when we can expect them back, Things will more or less, you know, left tackle, if Bakhtieri is not ready, both tackle positions all of a sudden are up for grabs. If he's ready, things fall into place a little bit more and we get a better picture of what's happening. I think offensive line is probably the only spot where there's real starter jobs that are up for grabs, except for long snapper. If you consider it a starting job, I would say it's pretty probably pretty wide open right now between... Steve Wordle, uh, Jack Coco, and uh, free agent X, who's not on the roster yet. I think that it, I think right. it's pretty wide open for long snapper. We do have uh, two kickers in camp after we picked up former Viking Gabe Verkic. Um at cornerback. I think there's a bit of a battle for slot corner. We've saw Rasul Douglas taking some snaps there at minicamp, but I think that guys like Keyshawn Nixon are going to be making a case for it. You got some other depth guys. Uh, Shamar Jean Charles is another guy who's probably going to be in the mix. Yeah. Fighting for a starting slot cornerback job. Uh, safety. I think that uh, th- there's maybe a-, a safety roster spot open inside linebacker. You kind of got your top three, but the Packers usually keep four. So there is a spot there, but I think that's more so a, special teams job exactly um and then uh the only other one i would really highlight i I guess it's two it's your final tight end and your final running back looking at tight ends we'll talk about uh uh the status of robert tunyon's injury all summer i'm sure but looking at mercedes lewis josiah deguara those guys you would think are locks robert tunyon um, a, a lock to be on the roster in some capacity, whether that's on the pup list or on the active roster, you're not sure, but you, you got between one to two jobs that I think are wide open and you got Dominique Daphne and Tyler Davis clearly vying for at least one roster spot. It's going to be interesting. I think Dominique Daphne is a really underrated player, been with the Packers for a number of years. I think they really like him. They also seem super intrigued by what they have in young Tyler Davis, and then, of course, at running back behind your starting duo of A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, who's going to get the running back three job? Patrick Taylor held that role for half of the year last year. Um, he got to some substantial playing time last year, looked pretty good. And despite the fact that Kylan Hill is a draft pick, one thing that Patrick uh, Taylor has going for him, he actually had better numbers in just about every category, he had more touchdowns, more yards per carry had a higher uh, rushing receiving and blocking grade than Kylan Hill. I think Kylan Hill could make the roster, but Patrick Taylor is not going to make it easy for him. And of course you got guys behind them vying for jobs as well in Tyler Goodson and BJ Baylor. Yeah, it's an interesting situation with RB three and, and Kylan Hill very possibly starts the year on the pup list as well. And I like Patrick Taylor. I like his 
ability, his size and his ability to catch the football. I think those two things work in his favor, but it'll be very interesting to see who gets that RB3 job and and how soon Hill is able to practice and compete for a job and then whether or not, you know, he picks up where he left off after the rehab is over. Number three on the list of five things you should care about. Let's talk about safety depth. We like Adrian Amos. We like Darnell Savage. Uh, I think that both guys played at a lower level last year than what we have come to expect out of both of them. Um, we're, we're certainly hoping for a step forward in quality of play from both guys, but also behind those two guys, it's wide open. The Packers over the last 11 years have kept 4.5 safeties on the roster. So, uh, we have two that we feel confident in. You got to come up with at least two more out of the following five players. Tariq Carpenter, right. uh, draft pick this year, who is super intriguing, but is also more of a hybrid linebacker safety. Vernon Scott, uh, seventh round draft pick from, I believe, 2020. You got Sean Davis. He's a uh, 2020 fifth round pick by the Indianapolis Colts. He's been with the Packers for a while. Uh, Innis Gaines, uh, undrafted free agent who has hung around for uh, a while now with the Packers. And then new uh, addition, 2022 undrafted free agent, Trey Sterling out of Oklahoma State. That's right. Interesting names here. Do you think... um, Do you think uh, any of those three... Last three guys I mentioned have um, much of a shot of uh, competing with Vernon Scott, who has gotten by far the most playing time, having actually been on the roster for a couple of years now. Uh, do you I, think any, any of those three guys really have a big shot at this? I don't think they have a major chance to compete with Vernon Scott. What I think they have a chance to do is if they can impress on special teams, they can possibly earn a roster or a practice mm. squad spot for themselves. Sure. I think it's going to be interesting. Number one, there's going to be times when you need to have three safeties on the field, but you're also about one injury away from really being in trouble at safety. And this is one of the few positions on the roster that you could actually say this about. Usually you'd reserve that kind of talk for quarterback. You know, if you, if you have an injury to Aaron Rodgers, you're in a lot of trouble. I think it's at safety. You should always be, more than one injury away from disaster. I'm not sure we're more than one injury away from disaster right now. No, it would be a big issue if either of the top two get hurt and miss significant time. You don't want to be relying on any of the guys we mentioned to to be sort of the, uh, you know, to see the field for 80%, 85% of the plays uh, on defense. It really sets up a situation where, Uh, they're unproven, don't know what they could do. And the problem with defense is very often a defense is only as good as its weakest link. And if your weakest link is a safety that the other team can pick on and create mismatches, you could have all the talent in the world around them, but you could still get burned by that one really weak link. And the Packers cannot afford to have this talented defense that they have undermined by one player who just can't get the job done. 
Yeah, and we're we're mostly talking about a guy like um, Innis Gaines or uh, maybe cornerback Shamar Jean Charles sliding over to safety um, to fill in for Adrian Amos or Darnell Savage. I think that's mostly what we're referring to in terms of like a guy who just should you know, just can't get it done. Yeah, and and again, I'm not saying that none of these guys can get it done. They just haven't proven that they can get it done yet, and that's the the factor. All right, uh, we're going to go number two on this list of five things you should care about. I'm going to take edge rusher depth. It's similar idea here to safety depth, but looking at your outside linebackers, you got Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith. You have zero concerns about Rashawn Gary, um, and, and then you're really hoping that Preston Smith looks like he did last year as opposed to the previous year. But behind them, you got either just totally unproven guys like Kingsley and Nagbar or guys who have been around for a while, uh, like Jonathan Garvin and, and Tipa and Ladarius Hamilton, who you just, you have seen what they have to offer and it's not good enough to be your edge three edge rusher is not like safety where you can have Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage out there for every single snap of the game. Right. Edge rusher, you need to give Rashawn and Preston a breather. They have to go, uh, get some Gatorade and, and suck wind on the sideline. You got to keep them fresh, especially in a close game. And if you, if you're putting uh, Ladarius Hamilton and, and uh, Jonathan Garvin out there as your second unit, I think that it really spells trouble for your defense. And I've talked a number of times on the show already about the difference last year between when Whitney merciless was healthy and when he was on IR and when they didn't have that third edge rusher, you saw a, a just a chasm of difference in the number of points that the defense was allowing. So that to me is a concern. It, it is definitely a concern. And then the other factor is you don't want, even if they stay healthy, you don't want Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary wearing out when it gets to be November, December, hopefully yeah. January. February, uh, you don't want them exhausted when the games matter the most. You need to keep them on the field no more than 70, 75% of the plays usually on defense. And if there's no one reliable behind those two guys, that number is going to be too high. And we're going to see a situation where they do start to wear down. So hopefully the Packers find somebody, whether that person is on the roster right now or they look for. Uh, Whitney Merciless 2.0 this offseason once cuts are made. Neither one of those things would surprise me. Finally, the number one thing you should care about this training camp, the health of the guys who are recovering from ACL tears. Most importantly, David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins. At what point are the guys that we are hoping are our two starting tackles and certainly the two most talented offensive linemen on the roster. At what point are these guys going to be able to play at all? And then assuming that uh, one or both of them can get on the field this year, how do they look? You know, they uh, the, these ACL recoveries are a very long time uh, recovery, long-term process. Uh, the, the general expectation is that, you can get back on the field after about one year, but then you don't really look like yourself for two years. So that is something that, uh, you know, 
even even if we kind of feel we can breathe a little bit because maybe both these guys are on the field, how much are they going to look like David Boxiari and Elton Jenkins pre-injury? And you got to throw Robert Tunyon on there as well. Uh, he wasn't having a fantastic year last year before the injury. I think if he's fully healthy, he can have a fantastic season this year, especially in Devonte Adams' absence. But how healthy is he? Well, we saw him running some routes at tight end university. Uh, looked like he was having a lot of fun with the guys there. Gronk and Kittle and all those dudes. Um, is he going to be ready to play week one? I wouldn't have thought so. But after some of the ways, uh, some of the stuff he has been saying and the, the video he uploaded, I, I'm starting to feel a little bit more optimistic. Uh, but but the other thing, you know, you don't want to rush him back too soon because you don't want to risk re-injury. No question about it. And look, the, there are the, the offensive line, the two best offensive linemen on the roster are on this list. And you're talking about a, an all pro in Bakhtiari, who was considered the best pass blocking tackle in the league before he was injured. You're talking about Elton Jenkins, who can play all five positions along the line, was a pro bowler at guard in 2020 was playing at a Pro Bowl level in 2021 at tackle before he went down. Getting those two guys back and in the lineup and getting them to return to form by the time they that the playoffs roll around is vital for this team's success. And to me, that is pro- quite possibly the biggest key to the, to the success of the offense this season. All right, Gil, question for you. How do I look right now? You look fine. <laughs> do, do I look uh, vivacious and bright? Do I look handsome? Do I look sexy? <laughs> you look good. That's all I'm going to say. Why? <laughs> well, I'm asking because I've been taking my health a lot more seriously recently. Uh, I've been losing some weight. I feel great. I have a lot more energy. And one of the things that I have been incorporating into this new health routine is trying to get better nutrition. Uh, I'm, I'm drinking green drinks. I'm drinking protein drinks. One of the things that I like to put in my drinks, AG1. It's a new product from Athletic Greens. They've been sponsoring our show for a while. I tried them out. It's actually pretty tasty. It's delicious. One scoop of AG1 doesn't taste too bad. I put it in in, uh, in my drink. I put some orange juice in there, mix it into a protein drink, whatever. One scoop a day. It's less than three bucks a day. I get fantastic micronutrients, uh, it boosts my nutrition. It supports mental clarity and alertness. You know, things that are really important for a podcast host. So you don't say goofy stuff accidentally, which I have been known to do. <laughs> Look, lots of people take multivitamins. For me, this kind of replaces my multivitamins. It's a much more delicious way to get a bunch of great vitamins and nutrients in my system. The nice thing is it really doesn't contain a lot of sugar. That's something I've been really tamping down on, but it still tastes fine. Uh, the other thing, I've been sleeping a lot better, too. How, how's your sleep quality been recently? It's been good since I've been taking AG1. Well, Gil, you and I can vouch. We really like AG1. We're a big fan of Athletic Greens, not just because they support this show, but also they just make a fantastic product. So, listeners, you should check it out, too. Endorsed by Gil and myself. We're going to talk about five things you should not be worried about with this training camp and the upcoming 2022 season. Coming in at number five, I have Sammy Watkins' durability. This has been a big thing that people have uh, been talking about. 
Uh, they're pointing out the number of games that he has missed over recent years. It's been a while since he's been able to log a full season. Uh, let's see here. In 2021, he played 13 games. So it looks like he missed four games. Right. 2020, he played 10 games. 2019, he played 14. 2018, he played 10. 2017, he played 15. So over the last five seasons, he's made uh, he's played in double-digit games every year. Yep. That's better than it sounds. Like, when, when the way you've heard people talking about his health, you would assume the dude is just absolutely made of glass. If you look at Devontae Adams, he's been – he has missed – multiple games in that stretch as well. Now he's also in double digits for every year, actually of his entire career. Uh, but looking over the last five years, he did miss uh, four games in 2020. He missed uh, at least two. He missed two games in 2021. He missed it's a little bit hard trying to do this math because you have to factor in like when we had a 16 game schedule and a 17 game schedule. Right. Well, last year's the only 17 game schedule. So, you know what? You know what? I don't need you undercutting my excuse <laughs> for why I'm bad at math. 2019, he missed four games. I think I said he missed four in 2020. That was a, a I, I misspoke. He, he only missed two. Two. Um, yeah. But he, but point is, he was our clear, unquestioned number one receiver. If you mm-hmm. look at if you look at the other guys um, who have been big contributors, more along the lines of kind of what we're expecting for uh, Sammy Watkins, MVS missed six games last year. Uh, he and then and then Al Lazard has missed more than that. Al Lazard missed in twenty twenty one. Uh, two games. So between those two guys, how many did I say MVS had missed? Did I say six. six. Okay, so you're you're missing eight games between those two dudes. So you had uh, eight games. That's that's basically half the season where you are missing your wide receiver two or three, and you only have two guys out there. Uh, twenty twenty, Lazard missed seven games. Right with the uh, core core muscle injury. Uh, and then he did play every game in 2019, at least that he was on the roster. Because for the first couple games of the year, he was not on the roster yet. Point is, yes, Sammy Watkins has missed slightly more games than the three guys we just mentioned. But let's not act like if you don't have all of your top three wide receivers out there for 17 games a season, that that's the end of the world, or even that different from what we've been facing anyways, the last couple of years, Sammy Watkins does need to be healthy, hopefully healthier than he has been the last few years. But we're also really viewing this running back room as maybe a, a, a committee approach anyways, that we're not uh, going to have quite such clearly defined roles as we have in the past few years, you're going to have more of a rotation. That's our expectation. So right. not, not trying to say that Sammy Watkins health is irrelevant because it's not, but I, it, I, I think it should, I've, I've seen articles where Sammy Watkins health is listed as like the number two, most important storyline of no. this season. And that's to me is absolutely ludicrous as is, um, the 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 next three things that, that we're going to list on here 
Um, actually, I'm, I'm going to insert one before we get to the really ridiculous ones. Because I, oh, okay. I think I think this one maybe is a little bit more of a pet peeve, but I mentioned it and you agreed when we were doing the episode planning. You said, yes, this Go is ahead. something we should talk about. One thing you should not be worried about at number four, the NFC North. First oh, of all, I agree. First of all, maybe the biggest thing you should worry about with the Chicago Bears is where should you uh, put the betting line on how many games they're going to lose this season? Do you think that they're going to lose uh, 15 games, 16 games, 17 games? <laughs> That's maybe your biggest concern with the Bears. No, no, no. I'll, I'll phrase it differently. The one thing I don't want to see is the Bears getting the first overall pick in next year's draft. That is actually concerning, yeah. That's what I don't want to see. Uh, Whether they win four games, five games, three games, that doesn't bother me so much, but I don't want them getting the best player available. Look, we already sent Aiden Hutchinson to Detroit. Let's not send Will Anderson to Chicago. Exactly, exactly. Uh, The Lions, again, I there's just no danger that the lions are going to win the division. Are, are they going to be tough to play in two games this year? Sure. Um, are they going to be tougher than most of the teams we're going to face on the schedule? I would argue no. And then the Vikings like to make a lot of noise, but let's just put our, our uh, fanciful caps on and imagine worst case scenario that the, the Vikings are finally able to crack double digit wins and somehow it's enough for them to win the division. I think that's a stretch, but let's just pretend. Okay. Even in that scenario, I think the Packers very clearly can still make the playoffs. And once you're in, we saw in 2010 what happened when they didn't win the division, but still had a darn good team and took care of business and handled the teams in front of them. So should you be stressing about the Minnesota Vikings? Absolutely not. No, I, I mean, I think the Vikings are the team out of the three division opponents who are the biggest cause for concern. But top to bottom, if you look at this roster, the Packers have more talent at more positions than the Vikings do, and they should be able to win this division. Number three, and those are five things you should not be worried about. Amari Rogers breaking out in year two. I've been ranting about this for a couple weeks now. I don't really take anybody seriously who tries to slap a label on a rookie or a second year player and say, oh, this is make it or break it. They really need to show something or they're out of here. This is this is all or nothing time. Oh, please. <laughs> Come on. We saw uh-huh. Devontae Adams. We saw Aaron Rodgers, two guys who took multiple years took three or more years to really start looking good. Come on. Of all fan bases, we should know. Look, Rashawn Gary didn't look good until year three. Do I have expectations for a player in year three? Yes, I do. Do I really care what they do in year two? Mm, I care because I like to see them playing good football. Do I care because I think it speaks of what their future is going to look like? I just don't year one and year two are more on the coaches and on development for these players. And if they're not playing a lot of snaps or they look bad at times in year one or year two, just take a chill pill, wait till year three, and then you can start yelling. Yeah, I have actually seen some people write articles that says, uh, Amari Rogers is a possible cut candidate if he doesn't have a great training camp. 
I would say that he would have to have, he would have to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that not only is he not ready to get the job done now, but that he'll never be ready to right. fill it. It would have to be a work ethic thing or an inability to learn the playbook kind of a thing where and we've clearly already seen that neither of those are it, issues with Amari. Exactly. So I don't think, I mean, do, I'll give you a it, third scenario for where he would get cut. If Amari Rogers commits a felony, I think yeah. then, you, then you can talk about maybe he's getting cut. Right. That, but that's off the field stuff. And right. I, I, I think realistically, Unless he bombs, and I mean bombs in training camp, and then even then, other people would have to not prove that they're any better than he is. Uh, it is way too soon to give up on a third-round pick in year two, especially at a position like wide receiver, where it took Antonio Freeman till his third year, Robert Brooks until his second or third year, Devontae Adams until his third year, Greg Jennings uh, his second or third year, very uh, Randall Cobb took until his second or third year. Very few wide receivers break out big as rookies or even in their second year. Got to be a little more patient with Amari Rogers. That being said, I think he'll be substantially better in year two than he was in year one. That doesn't mean he's going to be one of the top three receivers on this team, but I think we'll see progress. And if we don't, again, I, I just don't care yet. I, mean, I don't care until next year. And Amari Rogers, uh, last time or last year, sorry, uh, he was targeted like seven times all year. I think five of those came from uh, Jordan, Jordan Love. Love. Yeah, eight targets. I, I, it was eight targets total. I think I think five of those came from Jordan Love. He just didn't get any playing time. Uh, there were people who were upset about how he looked handling returns. Okay, well you're. Uh, completely discounting how good he was at returns the last two and and three and four weeks of the season. He looked much, much better doing punt returns. Um, And, and I'll, I'll say this as well. He was drafted in the third round for a reason. He was not ready to play last year. And on top of that, we didn't give him any opportunities last year. And then on top of that, even if he had played, even if he had a lot of opportunities and he didn't look good again, if he's a guy in his first or second year, there is such a gap in what the team needs him to know and how uh, polished and, and familiar he, he needs to be with the playbook and what to do in this situation and the timing and being on the right spot of the field at the right time, such a gap in between where a player is when they come in from the draft and where they need to be to be a really successful player. I'm sorry, but if you are demanding that he has to look the part in year two, you're going to look a lot like the people who wrote articles about Devonte Adams in year two t- saying it's time to cut bait and move on. Yeah. And, and just to add a little something to it, once Aaron Rodgers demanded for lack of a better word, that the Packers reacquire Randall Cobb, you knew Amari Rodgers was not going to see yep. the field a lot unless yep. Cobb got hurt. And that that really is the bottom line, that, that once they brought in a slot receiver with experience, the rookie slot receiver wasn't going to have a lot of reps on the offense. Now, he's got to show some progress this year, but again, I'm not getting all bent out of shape if he doesn't right away. 
Yeah, he has to show, show progress for his coach to keep liking him. How's that? Right. Yeah, and then, fair. And, and, and I'll say this, too. Am I, I, I'm, I am not expecting Amari Rogers to be a success long-term. Why? Because most draft picks are not successes. Most wide receivers drafted are not successes, especially once you get out of the first round or two, by the time you get to round three, the vast majority of draft draft picks are not successes. Uh, the odds are stacked against Amari, just like they're stacked against every other rookie we bring in. And I'll even say Amari Rogers was not a guy I was really loved a lot in the draft. I, I liked that he wanted to be in Green Bay, that he did an interview where he publicly said that he hoped the Packers would draft him because he wanted to play with Aaron Rodgers. That was very endearing. It was cool. When we drafted him, I said, oh, this is a nice storyline. I really hope it works out for him. But on paper, was he one of my top uh, 10 wide receivers? Not really. He was kind of borderline, uh, you know, just outside the top 10. He was a guy that I was okay with drafting, but not over the moon about so right um so again this is these are all things to be thinking about when you're considering why you should not be worried about amari rogers breaking out in year two coming in at number two on our list of five things you should not be worried about cornerback depth you hear a lot this is the this is the new trendy thing for folks to write about is oh man the packers on paper they got three really good cornerbacks but after that and I say, okay, well, the guys you're going about are cornerback three when you're looking at a, a lot of teams around the league. Um, we have three guys at the top that we are absolutely uh, super pleased with. You got Shamar Jean Charles, who the coaches really liked, who did get some decent playing time last year. You got Keyshawn Nixon, who uh, Rich Basaccia liked enough that he persuaded Brian Gutekunst to bring him in from Vegas. And you got a pile of other guys. And what happened last year when they needed quarterback depth after Jair Alexander went down? They went out and picked up a guy. They brought in uh, Rasul Douglas. Actually, they brought in multiple cornerbacks. Uh, mm -hmm. Folks wanted them to bring in um, uh, Stefan Gilmore. They got Rasul Douglas instead. And uh, what was the guy's name? Um, Quandre Baker or something like that, uh, former um, Seahawk. They brought him in. It didn't work out. He got cut. This is Gutekunst's job is if there's a depth issue, he's got to go out and find somebody. This is true of like every position on the team. Yep. So if you're, if you're looking at this and you're saying, oh, we only have three guys who we think are elite. Oh, cry me a river. I think 31 teams in the NFL would kill to swap cornerback rooms with the Packers. So um, I'm not trying to trash on the hardworking writers who are writing these stories about the depth. And yes, it's true. Uh, Shamar Jean Charles, KB on Anto, Keyshawn Nixon, Keandre Thomas, Raleigh Texada, and Rico Gafford between those six guys. They don't have a lot of regular season snaps between them. That is true, but they're going to be okay. Yeah, I think they're going to be okay. Also out of all the things on this list though, this is the one that I would say I'm the most concerned about out of the five things we should not be worried about. Um, but I think that there's no need to panic. I mean, we need one more player to sort of step up and claim the role of fourth cornerback. And, you know, is Shamar Gene Charles ready in year two to make a step forward? Maybe. Is Keyshawn Nixon ready to show he can do more than just be a standout on special teams? Maybe. 
we need one of these remaining guys on this roster to step up and say, I can get the job done as CB4. Or, as you mentioned, Brian Gutekunst is going to go out and bring in somebody who can. So it's a concern, but it's not a worry. How many years at this point in the year do we not know who our CB4 is? I would say just about every year we don't know who our CB4 is yet. Right. And Uh, usually usually you don't care about who the CB4 is because you're more concerned about CB2 and CB3. Right. The, the, and I'll say this uh, as as sort of a step further. If the big three cornerbacks stay healthy all year, this is not a big worry. If one of them goes down for a substantial amount of time, it becomes a bigger concern. Coming in at number one on the list of five things you should not be worried about, will Aaron Rodgers and the receivers be successful without Devontae? Here's my answer to why you should not be worried about that. It's because the answer is yes, they will be fine without Devante in the Matt LaFleur era in games with Devante missed Aaron Rodgers has a passer rating of one nineteen point seven. He's you're talking about seven games here. Sorry, eight games here. He's thrown 2049 yards, 19 touchdowns and one interceptions. It is seven games. Sorry, I, I miscounted. It's seven games. That's 2,000 yards in seven games, 19 touchdowns, one interception. They get the job done. They incorporate Aaron Jones. They incorporate the tight ends, whether that's Mercedes Lewis, uh, Robert Tunyon, Josiah DeGuara. Uh, They mix A.J. Dillon into the mix. We've seen um, Al Nazard had a game against the Saints in 2020 where he was the uh, wide receiver one. He was electric. Am I expecting that he can consistently do that week in and week out for a 17 game season? Eh, so maybe a little bit unrealistic, but we have seen Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers get it done regardless of who he's working with. Think about some of the games. I uh, think about the uh, uh, Oakland game in 2019. Rodgers had 31 attempts, 25 completions. He uh, put up his one and only ever perfect was it quarterback rating or passer rating? Perfect passer rating, 158.3. I get quarterback rating and passer rating mixed up, but I think passer rating is one we care about. Passer rating of, of 158.3, his, his one and only perfect passer rating game ever. He threw five touchdowns and zero interceptions. And before that game, we were not sure if MVS and Geronimo Allison were going to be available because they were both injured. And they both... Uh, clearly looked very banged up in that game as well. I, I, I'm putting the line at, I think Aaron Rodgers throws for 4,400 yards this year. Uh, I think that he's clearly going to easily be a top 10 quarterback in fantasy this year. Is the offense going to look smooth and polished every single week? No, no. but it, it didn't when they had Devonte here. Is the offense going to take a few weeks to get going this year? It certainly might. It did last year as well. And they had Devonte. Aaron Rodgers is going to get the job done. And Matt, Laf- Matt LaFleur is absolutely the coach to help him do so. Yeah, I- I'm not worried long term. I mean, I-, I think that this group of receivers, A, is good enough to get the job done with Aaron Rodgers. And B, that by the end of the year, we will see this receiving core in a much better place than they are in week one, week two, week three. And that, to me, is the more important aspect of it. 
And over the last few years, whenever Devante has gotten injured, how concerned were we really at the time about the next stretch of games? Like, you know, we, we would talk about, oh, man, uh, Devante has turf toe. Man, I, I really hope he's back in time for playoffs because obviously that's a huge deal. Are they going to get the job done in the meantime? Of course, they're going to get the job done in the meantime. When Devante is hurt, um, you know, let's say that he got hurt right before week one. Obviously, that's a bad situation to be in because your entire playbook is all schemed around Devante. And we've heard, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers and some of the receivers talking this offseason about how the playbook is changing and how so many of the plays they had last year were just designed for the ball to go to Devante every single time. So you had guys out there, Lazar, Tunyon, uh, Aaron Jones, running routes that were really not actual routes. It was just only designed to open things up for Devante. You think, I mean, gosh, that had to be a little bit disheartening for them at times that like, you know, I ran my route. I got open. Can I get the ball, please? I know this, <laughs> that this play is like designed for Devante, but like I did my job. Can I get the ball? They're going to get the ball this year. You got yep. enough talented guys. And we've seen, I mean, we've complained about at times that there's no real consistent players week in and week out who are like always the guy, even Devante, that there are weeks when Tanya goes off for three touchdowns, where Lazar just gets hot for a game, where Aaron Jones gets hot in the receiving game. It, hap it has happened over the last three years. So are we really that concerned that they can't do it this year? By the time playoffs get here, you're going to have had 17 games for uh, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, uh, Alan Lazard, maybe Sammy Watkins if he's still around and still healthy, Amari Rogers, Aaron Jones, Robert Tunyon, Tyler Davis, Josiah DeGuara, A.J. Dillon. For these guys all to be in rhythm, by playoff time, obviously we'll be having a year-long conversation about this, but by playoff time, I think that they're going to have a good enough offense that they can look like the Packers against any opponent. Yeah. And that's the key. I think this team has to be ready. Look, I think we have placed in recent years, such an emphasis on the regular season. And I understand that, but we've been so busy trying to be the number one seed that it seems like we've stumbled in the playoffs. Once we've gotten there this year, let's make sure we're ready for the playoffs come playoff time. That to me is going to be the big key. Yep. I've said a number of times that I think despite the fact that obviously losing Devante does not make the Packers wide receiver room better. There's no question no. losing the best corner uh, wide receiver in football does make your wide receiver room worse. I think that there is room here though, for the Packers total offense to look to, to be better than it was a year ago. I think you could have more yards, more first downs, more touchdowns scored throughout the course of the season um, and, and a, a more consistent offense. If Aaron Rodgers is playing within the scheme, if he's thrown to the open guy, if we don't have situations like we've had before where Aaron Rodgers is feeling some heat and he just starts staring down Devontae because that's who he trusts and he's slinging the ball to Devontae in double coverage, despite the fact that nobody's covering Al Lazard on that play. We've seen it a million times. We know what it looks like. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't have that safety blanket, I think there's no reason at all 
that it's impossible for the offense to be better without Devontae because everybody else steps up and Aaron Rodgers is forced to trust other guys than Devontae. And we have to see it. We have to see that uh, Aaron Rodgers is willing to trust his receivers and spread the ball around. And I am confident he'll be able to do that. One last thing we have to do before we wrap up. We have to talk about uh, returners. We're going to mark it down. Who Who's going to be the uh, kick and punt returners this year? You want to you want to go go first and make your make your mark here. Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs. All right. Uh, I am also taking Romeo Dobbs. Uh, he's, I think, my punt returner. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking Kylan Hill, if he can get healthy, is kick return. I think Kylan Hill and Romeo Dobbs. Good choices. Question: The question here is, at what point do we determine the correct answer? Is it week one or we do, do we like wait? you know, till the middle of the season, see how things have kind of shaken out before we declare a winner. Well, I think part of it is whether or not Kylan Hill is ready for week one, as far as all of that goes. So we, we probably won't know that right away. Uh, here's, I, I here's, think... here's my alternate. If Kylan Hill is not healthy enough to go, I'm going to take Amari Rogers to handle kick returns. Okay. Even though he did punt returns last year, I think, I think kick returns, well, he did a little kick returning. So, yeah. So that's that's my that's my alternate in case Kylan Hill is not ready to go. Fair enough. All right, and then and we'll we'll say uh, we'll we'll give our we'll check in kind of on this at the beginning of the season, and we'll give our official winner by like I don't know week eight. How does that sound? Very fair. All righty, that does it for us today. We'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter at Gil Packers and at JJ Leahy, who tapes it on all things Packers, or ask us questions. You can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com